Hello and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bone splitters from our beast claw raiders, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host Christopher Crallen Allen, Buongiorno. who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Very true. And my dear brother Darren. Hello who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Alrighty then, Kral Pal, give us a recap, mate. What did we uh, What did we cover last month? Oh god, you're really testing my ignorance. Okay, so <laughs> last month we looked at chaos, 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 or chaos for you phonetic fans out there. <laughs> the four gods of chaos: Kohorn, god of bloodlust, war, rage, blood, honor, and battle, and skulls. Sladesh, Ben, who's Sladesh? Go on. Uh, god of excess, pleasure. Hedonism. Sexy times. Sexy times. times. Yep. 10 out of 10. Uh, Zeech, god of change, fate, ambition, schemes, lies, politics, sorcery, mutation, hope, and knowledge. It sounds like you're reeling this off at the top of your head, Chris. (laughs) Right? It's not scripted (laughs) at all. And finally, Nurgle. God of decay, plague, despair, disease, endurance, tolerance, joy, acceptance, compassion, empathy, entropy, death, and rebirth. Oh, of course. I'm wow. not forgetting the fifth band member, the Skaven. Oh, sorry. Skaven? Skaven. Skaven, Chris. Skaven. Jesus. Okay, okay. The Skaven god, the Horned Rat. The Horned Rat. <laughs> the Horny Rat. The Horny Rat. Big ups, the Horny Rat. Uh, yeah, we also looked through each of their pantheons. So their greater demons, lesser demons, mounts, and beasts, which were basically just loads of tits and aardvarks and lobster claws <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> uh, Darren explained a little about how the gods were formed through similar emotions and actions mirrored in the chaos realm, grouping together and coalescing, and also how they continue to get their power. We covered the eight winds of magic. I can't even think of one wind of magic. What, what were, were <laughs> a Dar. Dar was one of them. That's uh, it. And, yes. and Gur. Gur. <laughs> what, what were the other ones? Recite the eight winds of magic. Oh, God. Haish the wind of- It's like your Cub of- Scout pledge, isn't it? <laughs> Haish the wind of light. Azir the wind of heavens. Shaman, the wind of metal. Gur, the wind of beasts. Uh, Akshi, the wind of fire. Uh, Shaish, the wind of death. Oh, God. Uh, and Gairon, the wind of life. Of forgetfulness. Wow. <laughs> wow. Forget- See, that was actually off the top of his head, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you want from me? Jesus. <laughs> well, then we, we looked at Warpstone as well, didn't we? We did, yeah. We had a smattering of warpstone as well in the in the episode. A we little, did a yeah. little garnish. Yeah, we came away nice. a little wiser. Um, yeah, good sesh, good sesh. Yeah, man. Tune so in next was, month was, for another recap. <laughs> <laughs> was was there anything else there? Did um, you miss anything there? No, I think that that was it. I mean, we'll be touching on the how gods are created really or where they come from in this episode but i think that that's a good recap of last time and was there um any any factoid checking did we fuck anything up did you fucking oh absolutely we would have fucked things up that goes without saying (laughs) yeah yeah i I would have liked to have gone into um demon printers a bit more but 
that's not really a fuck up. That's just an omission. And we'll deal with that when we revisit chaos. Perhaps we can do a little branch off episode. A, Spin off. Addendum? Is that what this is? Addendum, addendum, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, we'll, an amendment. We'll have a look at that. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, um, yeah. What, what, so, gods. We're looking at gods this month. Yeah, so following on from our dive into the realms of chaos and the four happy time funsters that run that wonder park, I thought we'd have a look at the gods of the other races in the Warhammer world, uh, just kind of a high-level view thing, uh, but kind of uh, give them the treatment that we gave the gods of chaos last time. I think a good segue for those who listened to last month's podcast is we could round out the kind of pantheon of chaos, just talk about two gods that are in the lore, but not really focused on to any great extent. So the first is the renegade chaos god, Malal, whose sole purpose seems to be- A renegade chaos god. A gog. Sorry, that just didn't come out the way I intended it to. <laughs> a renegade chaos god. I mean, that seems like a kind of self, you know what I mean? Uh, self-defining, renegade chaos. Doesn't, doesn't renegade chaos mean that he's good? Yeah, so, so yes, he is a, a renegade chaos god. Uh, effectively, he's turned his back on the other four, and all he wants to do is destroy them as much as he can. His chaotic number, each of the gods has a chaotic number, and this guy's number is number 11. In the previous episode, Korn is 8, Nurgle is 7, uh, Slaanesh is 6, and Zinch is 9. And in general, their demons appear either individually or in those numbers. So Malal's number is 11, but he's not really in the Warhammer lore anymore because of, and you'll love this, intellectual property conflicts. Oh yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, he was in the editions 1 and 2 and also in the first edition of the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay game. But after that, no, he's, he's kind of an apocryphal god mentioned really in fan supplements and not in any official capacity at all. So what happened? What was the IP issue? I think the author who created him took the rights with him when he left Games Workshop. What? I love how you've got these omnipotent, omniscient gods until the lawyers get involved, and then they've got no power whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> well, when Games Workshop was a very young company, they used a lot of freelancers. So it was a lot of work for hire, that kind of deal. So if the contract didn't explicitly say you're transferring all of the IP rights to us, then you're going to run into these creative issues. Is there any information about where this author took that, that character? Like, is he just, does he have his own Warhammer somewhere? No, I don't think anything's been done with them. I think they've appeared in a few of the earlier books, and I think it was in one of the Warhammer comics as well, at the dawn of Warhammer. There's Warhammer comics? Oh yeah, there's tons. There's a new a new comic actually has been brought out by Marvel, which focuses on the, uh, the Ultramarine. It's 40k, obviously, but... Get the fuck out of town. It seems to be very well received. By Marvel? Yeah. Wow. No way. That's got to be worth a read. I did not know that. That's amazing. It's like two of my favourite IPs <laughs> got together <laughs> and got it on. And bam! <laughs> bam. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what's the number relevant to? You know, it was whatever Nurgle was seven, and you said that the pantheon, his his pantheon would appear in that number. Why have they done that? I'll be honest with you. I don't think it's ever really been properly explained as to the relevance of the number. They just simply have always had those numbers associated with them ever since the first book of the Realms of Chaos series. So, like you say, when you see the number eight, is that is number eight related to corn? Is that right? Yes, number eight is related to corn. It's also the number of points on a chaotic star. Okay. So eight in general is associated with chaos, and because corn is the most obvious of the chaos gods, his followers are the most obvious followers of chaos, because they're usually drenched in blood and have chains of skulls around them. Hot. That's associated with him, although that's me projecting onto it. I don't know if that's the reason why his number is eight. And those followers would generally say have like eight notches in their necklace, eight (laughs) bits of (laughs) armor or something like that. Eight aardvarks, eight tits. Do things eight times, like really OCD like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You have to walk up and down a set steps four times. Well, the short answer is yes. Eight is, for Corn anyway, eight is the revered number. And originally in the Realm of Chaos army lists, all the demons would be bought for your army in multiples of eight. And then for obviously for Nurgle, multiples of seven, for Zinch, multiples of nine, and for Slanesh, multiples of six. So Corn was the most bang for your buck. I think if you want to cut someone's head off, yeah. (laughs) Nurgle, I mean, it depends what your powers are as the god, isn't it? I mean, like, Nurgle just kind of, like Darren explained, was inevitable, would just be there at times of, you know, renewal or death and things like that. And so maybe six Nurglings was enough to take care of that situation right there. Exactly, you know. (laughs) But you could argue that Korn was less powerful. He needed more, you know. Think about it. Controversial. (laughs) Controversial. The other chaos spirit I just wanted to mention was a, a demon prince who became a god called Queethel. It's <laughs> <laughs> unfortunate. Queethel was a, a skaven who attained demonhood and then became a demon prince patron of chaos warriors and chaos champions. Yeah. That appeared in the second of the Realms of Chaos books and it had attributes you could roll up on a table. So very much like the animal merger table we discussed last episode, you had a table to create aspects of a demon prince patron who could then be your chaos god, and they could have one follower or they could have thousands of followers. It's like god pick and mix. Yummy. Exactly. So the number just kind of goes out the window at that point. I am the god Queethel. My magic number is 52. Or multiples of. For those two examples then, just show you how the kind of setting has reinvented or added or extracted gods for story and legal reasons time and time again. So was Malal, he wasn't even written out, he was just dropped like a stone out of the saga. It was like, oh, Malal had to move to a different state. (laughs) His parents got a new job. And his brother, Malal, the god of laughter, had to go with him. (laughs) Just really lazy script writing. Oh, Malal. (laughs) And in terms of power, how do these other gods size up against the four main chaos gods? Oh, any one of the main gods could squash them like a bug. Right, okay. So it's not even worth comparing. 
No, not really. Not at this stage in their own evolution. I mean, the kind of demon prince patrons, they almost always are demons of chaos undivided. And that's the name given to the worship of the realm of chaos or chaos spirits as a whole without favoring one or the other. And so they're naturally weaker than God-specific chaos forces and chaos demons. Right, okay. Interesting. So turning our back on the realm of chaos, which is a dangerous proposition at the best of times, I thought we'd have a look at the (laughs) gods that really existed around the time of the collapse of the chaos gate and then moving forward to present day in Warhammer. So starting off, we should really discuss the old ones, because the old ones are viewed by the lizardmen races, the Slan and the Skinks and the Saurus and so on, as gods-ish. So we've got three or four gods just to mention. Chotek, who's the god of the sun, a solar god. We've got Itzel, who's the god of cold-blooded beasts, which when you consider that the lizard men army is made of lizards, it's pretty much their go-to god. They've got Quetzal, who is their protector, obviously based on the Mesoamerican gods mm. uh, there. And then we've got uh, arguably the most important one is Sotek. The lore is a bit unclear as to whether he's actually a god or not, or was someone who simply ascended to some level of omniscience. And I say someone, I mean an old one, or do I? They're they're (laughs) referred to as the god of serpents. And really, you're looking at either a hero of the lizardman race who was raised to godhood, or a slan who became a peer of the old ones. Sotek is the force in the... Lizardmen world who absolutely hates Skaven. Bastard. The Skaven are absolutely terrified of him. And there's some quite good rules and quite good lore in some of the early Lustria settings that shows Skaven being thrown into snake pits as a sacrifice to the god Sotek. I'll be honest with you, that sounds massively unfair. <laughs> On the Skaven. <laughs> well, the more you learn about Skaven, the more you think, no, no, it's really not. So Skaven and Indiana Jones then have really got something in common, you know, that whole fear of snakes. (laughs) Tenuous link there. Yes. (laughs) I don't think anyone has ever made that connection, and I want to see you with your Skaven Blood Bowl team putting little fedora hats on them. Yeah, (laughs) and whips. Yes. And whips. Love it. Quips. And then you've got to use your audio skills to create a rat squeaking version of the Indiana Jones theme song. Hey, challenge accepted. Are there any questions about the old ones that we haven't covered already? The old ones are the OG gods. They are the ones that came about and conceived the very early world of Warhammer, right? Yes, although I'm using the term gods because that's how some of the factions in the Lizardmen refer to them, but they were highly educated space travelers. But yes, they are the OGs. They moved entire continents, moved the planet out of its solar orbit to be more beneficial for them. They could go toe-to-toe with the Chaos Gods quite happily, couldn't they? Mm, I don't know that they... Okay, okay. They go head-to-head. The Old Ones versus the Chaos Gods. Who's your money on? Chaos gods, because the old ones fucked off. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, do you not remember, Chris? They, they just left a note. They just left a note. They were like, we're out. Dinner's in the fridge. Here's, here's what we would have done. <laughs> yeah. But we got bored. That's right. Good luck. Enjoy an eternity of warring. And pain. And suffering. And horribleness. I, I'm talking in, in purely in terms of might and power. The old gods versus the chaos gods who would win. Unfortunately, having been 
involved in the kind of lore for quite a while. I know how it ends. So the Chaos Gods, yeah. Spoiler. The other great civilization that existed at the time of the collapse of the gates were the elves, the elves of Ulthuin. And they have a kind of very unusual pantheon. They've got 22 gods. Jesus. Sounds busy. God, it's like BTS, the K-pop group. (laughs) (laughs) Just better looking. And all of those gods are worshipped to various degrees by the three main factions of elves, the wood elves, the high elves, and the dark elves. Those gods are separated into two groups, the gods of heaven and the gods of the underworld. So the gods of heaven, which are referred to as the Kadei, there's eight gods of heaven. The most important being Azurian, who's the creator, Aisha, who's the mother, Kurnos, who's the hunter, and Vol, who's the smith. For anyone who's read anything about 40k, these are exactly the same as the gods of the Eldar. Right. Yeah, I was I, I was going to ask that, Derek. I was going to suggest that. They are, they're just like the gods of the uh, 40k. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you are. Of course, of course you, are. you are. They mirror, to some extent, the civilizations across the settings. Now, as I said, the gods are worshipped by all three flavors of elf, but in different kind of areas of... <laughs> Snap, crackle, and pop. <laughs> 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 they're, more, they're more sensations than flavors excuse me sorry uh, oh this this pop feels quite dark uh, <laughs> the elves worship these gods effectively in a different emphasis so the high elves for the kadei the gods of heaven that's their core set of gods that they worship their most important being Azuyan, who's the creator, is the phoenix god. And it's an interesting point. Whenever a phoenix king is going to be anointed, he has to walk through the eternal flame of Azuyan and gets effectively rebuilt on an atomic level. They burn through the cleansing flame, which burns off any kind of impurities in them. Purges him. It purges him. Yeah. Not painlessly, it should be said. Doesn't sound like it. No. So it's a rite of passage. He has to go through the pain to be reborn. Yeah, and famously, Malekith, who's the king of the Dark Elves, got halfway through, was burnt to a crisp, and then just leapt out rather than (laughs) going through. So that left him... No, 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 I'm done, I'm done, I'm out. No, 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 fuck that, fuck that, (laughs) fuck that, no. Owie, 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 (laughs) owie. It's It's like those people that do the walking on hot coals, except it's a bath. It's a super happy fun slide of hot coals. <laughs> Wee! <laughs> ow, 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 ow. A flaming flume. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the end result of that? He just became a bit fucked up. He was a very angry, vengeful charcoal briquette. <laughs> or just embarrassed at his failure. You don't become the king of the Dark Elves by the power of embarrassment. Yeah. Come now. No, no, but he jumped out halfway. Or am I, missing the st- am I misreading the situation? He jumped out, and then ultimately it led to a huge rebellion and massacre which split the elven nation in two, with the dark elves on one side and the high elves on the other. But to be able to survive, they got Hotek, who is the renegade... The god of hotels. <laughs> <laughs> Trivago. So they got Four Seasons, the god of smiths... <laughs> They had a renegade priest of Vol, who is the smith god, create red-hot armor, which was effectively just pressed onto his skin. Jesus. Yuck. 
So he's fused with armor, never being able to take it off. How do you sleep in a nice shiny suit of armor? How do you moisturize or something like that? I don't think he actually takes it off. I think it's why, really, fundamentally, he's been pissed off for four and a half thousand years. Fair. Yeah, he's got an itch just where he can't scratch. <laughs> I remember when I broke my arm and I had a cast. One of the most relieving <laughs> things was to get like a chopstick. Get a ruler. <laughs> or a chopstick or something long and just go, oh my God, there it is. Get it right in there. Oh. Think how much bloodshed could have been avoided just by buying him a back scratcher. <laughs> <laughs> right. So because of his experience, the Dark Elves effectively ignore the gods of heaven, the elven gods of heaven. They don't exist. They, they don't care about them or worship them in any way at all. With Wood Elves then, the third, they openly worship the Kadei, but they give primacy to Kurnos, the hunter, and to some extent Aisha, the mother as well, as a kind of naturalistic deities that suit their arboreal way of life quite well. These eight gods then encapsulate the virtues and positive aspects of elven nature. And we discussed a little bit in the first episode, I think, about how the realm of chaos, when it came into the Warhammer world, kind of screwed up everyone's nature a little bit. So the other two-thirds of the elven pantheon are what's called the Sithari, which are the 14 gods of the underworld. And I just love that word, you know, Sithari. I just think of people like in the old style safari getup. Jeeps. Yeah, Jeeps. Big blunderbuss <laughs> to go hunting <laughs> the majestic. Bully. Bully. <laughs> Are you having a bully day? <laughs> Do you mean upper class people with speech impediments? That's it. Exactly. <laughs> and massive moustaches. Like Ben's housemate. Bit of a shout out for Ben there. Yes, notable deities amongst this group are Cain, the god of murder, who we discussed at length previously. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hecarty, who's the god of dark magic, and Mathlan, who's the god of cheap clothing. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Mathlan, the god of the deep. <laughs> So for these guys, the areas of worship are really reversed. We've got the High Elves, their worship is either frowned upon or outright banned. Dark Elves, who they're really the most important deities, and, and there's many cults and shrines of these gods around Nagarond, the Dark Elves' home. And again, for the Wood Elves, they really don't care. They're, uh, it's unrestricted worship. I suspect some is frowned upon, but Wood Elves are very much the libertarians of the elf world. They sound like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back to nature. You don't fuck with me. I won't fuck with you kind of deal. Free world thinkers. Tree huggers, in essence. New world elves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in general, then, these underworld gods reflect the negative aspects of the elven psyche. Violence and vengeance and cheap clothing, as we mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the outlet. Yeah, the god of outlets. <laughs> the elven outlet. In general, elves, and it's mirrored in the 40k universe with Eldar as well, when they die, their souls are consumed by Slanesh as kind of tasty treats, uh, amuse-bouches. <laughs> nom, 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 nom. Oh, absolutely. They've had to come up with ways of avoiding being eaten, gobbled up by the god of sexy times. Roll around in <laughs> filth. Before Roll. you die, just like flush your head down the toilet. Now, can I just ask, in 40k, the creation of Slanesh is obviously linked with the Eldar. Is that mimicked at all in Warhammer Fantasy? In terms of the birth, no. 
but the link still exists, which while not mirrored exactly, it could be like a fun fair or funhouse mirror. Mm. So it's just slightly askew. Because it's dark. I mean, that story is the 40k version of Slanesh's creation is is dark. Like really dark. <laughs> oh yeah. Basically an entire race fucked a god into existence. What? Yeah. It's mad. That's effectively what happened. Love it. I need yeah. to read that. We'll leave that for episode 450 when we get around to 40k. I think, Kralan, that was the least creepiest way you could have said that creepy thing. Oh, I need to read about that thing. I need to be alone. I gotta get that book. <laughs> Each of the three elven races have a way of avoiding that fate. The high elves, when they're born, they have their souls linked with a waystone. So you know that portal thing we use to travel around in Vermintide? Mm. Yeah, that's full of elven souls. Holy okay. Yeah. What did they call that? Like a waygate? It's a waystone, yeah. And interestingly, the waystones are actually used to reinforce the Great Vortex, which drains chaos out of the world. Ah. So these waystones are implanted or constructed on important crossings of what we would consider to be ley lines. And the souls that go into each waystone help to power the magic spell that drains the lumpy cyst of chaos on the back of Warhammer. <laughs> Jesus. Pop that zit. So when we say waystone, how are we spelling that? Is that W H? E Y? Like protein? Are you high? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he wishes he was. <laughs> no, he's just stupid. Or is it just W A Y? It's all one word W A Y stone. Oh, that's not as fun. So it's really a necromantic pillar, which is a fun way of looking at the graceful elves. Wood elves then put their souls into what's called tree kin. They basically take a pile of logs, wrap it in an elven soul that's just died, and it turns into a kind of bargain basement tree man. <laughs> <laughs> really naff, wooden whittled figurine. Poundland. <laughs> Poundland. Isn't that one of Slanesh's realms? <laughs> the dark elves then rely on prayers going to a goddess called Aerith Kale who is the pale queen, who is the vengeful side of elven nature. She takes souls, tortures them for a good long while, and then makes them soldiers As you do. for her army when she eventually tries to take over and kill Azuryan, who's the elven creator god, who spurned her love. And that is a better fate than being eaten by Slanash then. Yeah, tortured for a bit and then a soldier. Or eaten by Slanash. Swings and roundabouts. I mean, apart from just being chomped down by Slanesh, does that then enter you into a, a eternal damnation and torture and pain? Is that why you don't want to be eaten by Slanesh? If it's just a few seconds of being chomped down and then you're just kind of into non-existence, it doesn't seem too bad. I think your, your soul is tortured for an indeterminate amount of eternity <laughs> uh, and then it's slowly Give peeled off. And then it's slowly deconstructed by the comical demons of Slanesh until you face utter oblivion, which is a terror for all races. Okay, so yeah, you don't want to be eaten by Slanesh is what I'm hearing. Got it. It removes you completely from any opportunity to be reborn. Reincarnation is no longer a possibility for you. Right. Got it. You are permanently deleted. 
There's no control Z on that, is there? Oh, no. It's destructive editing. Not in Warhammer. It actually plays a very big role in Age of Sigmar in the rebirth of the Elfin nations. Some Elven-derived races in Age of Sigmar that are, if you pardon the phrase, sucked completely out of Slaanesh. And then they're played owed around a bit by the elven god, Teclis, Hot. who then... Teclis. 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 The opposite of tectful. Yep. Yeah. Tactless. Tactless. Tactless, the Play-Doh god. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the same person that makes the beasts and pantheons of the gods of chaos? <laughs> yeah. Just obsessed with nipples. <laughs> Lobsters and six titties. <laughs> and aardvark heads. You're the guys that keep bringing it up. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more badgers. We need more badgers. <laughs> hey, you immortal. This is your blood god, Corn, And I've come all the way from the realm of chaos to talk to you about Jonabar. It can be tough work removing those stubborn saints from yours and your demon's armaments. But with Jonabuff, it doesn't have to be. With just one wipe, you can say bye-bye to diet, filth, and bloodstains quicker than ever. With its special ether and risk formula, Jonabuff will revitalize and strengthen your bloodthirsters' armor, making it endure and shine for longer. Nothing cleans better than Jonabuff. Find it in all good merchants today. So in Age of Sigmar, rescuing, in quotes, the souls of elves that have been devoured by Slaanesh plays a big role in the creation of uh, Marathi's witch elf nation, the sea elves, the reborn realm lords or high elves. So that's a very long-winded way of saying, not in Warhammer, but yes, people can be control zed out of sexy time devouredness. Okay. Uh, it can be undone. There is salvation. Okay. So the elves' prerogative, I guess, the way they live their lives or part of their lifestyle as soon as they're born is to avoid being eaten by Slaanesh. And they have various ways of doing that by basically anchoring their souls to various things in various ways. Is that right? That's exactly right. I mean, if you can imagine we ourselves being born and then understanding on a fundamental level that we are going to be eaten by a tiger at some point in our life. Wow. Could happen. It could happen. We're going to have to do everything we can to make sure that tigers don't eat us. Okay, so no zoos, first of all. <laughs> no, no zoos. To heck with the safari stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> how inappropriate. Bully. I think COVID was really introduced by the anti-tiger lobby. <laughs> all right, okay, getting a bit too PC now. Let's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let's pull it back. Let's pull it back. Oh. That's elves in a nutshell. That's the god of elves. Um, very Celtic mixed with Mesopotamian undertones in terms of their cosmography, but quite good to read. So I would encourage listeners to go off and have a look at the elven gods. You'd be quite pleased. It's a good read. Two things. What form do these gods normally take? And where do they exist? Because obviously the Chaos Gods, they exist in the Chaos Realm. Do these gods exist there as well? A great question. It's not really entirely clear where all the other gods exist. I mean, there are multiple spiritual realms and each god has their own one. Given that they're either a reflection of racial identity 
or they themselves are the template for various races, they must have their own elven realm. Mm. Warhammer has a lot of interventionist gods, so there are gods that exist in the world and walk around in the world. To say that they do that 100% of the time, I think, is unclear. So they must go somewhere. Right. Okay. But it's not clear where they exist necessarily. And it's sometimes yeah. best not to ask those questions. Ignorance is bliss in this kind of thing. You don't want to know. You don't want to go down that rabbit hole. There were gods of chaos. Then there were gods of order. And that seemed to have fallen out of favor in the lore. So they're not really discussed. But if there is a realm of chaos, as was defined at the start of Warhammer lore, logically then there must be a realm of order. But I don't believe it has been mentioned once. The, the realm of order sounds a bit boring, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, what, what goes on there? A heck of a load of filing. Yeah, lots of maintenance. Yeah, I'd view it very much as an Ikea on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely beige in colour, that's for sure. So these gods then, is it stated anywhere how they get their power? Because obviously the chaos gods feed off of the emotions and actions of you know mortal beings, but do the gods... Because it's quite common in other IPs that gods become more powerful the more worship. Yes, that's the, how it works in Warhammer as well. Right. Uh, the more prayers you get, the more powerful you are. The more followers you have, the more powerful you are. Hence them sacrificing the Skaven into the pit of serpents. That kind of that kind of behaviour. Yeah. Fucking bastards. <laughs> fuck the Skaven, man. Don't you fuck the, the Skaven will fuck you, Chris. Nah, man. Not me and my orcish hordes. Orcish whores. <laughs> My orcish harem. <laughs> orcish whores sounds like something out of Slanesh's sex shop. <laughs> I don't think there is such things as orcish harems or females, are there? They're just coming to being. They just kind of grow from the earth, don't they? They do, yeah. Orcs are asexual. Holy shit. How 21st century. Welcome to the Laying Down the Lore Gender Identity Podcast. So when did you identify as orc sexual? <laughs> well... <laughs> So we've dispensed with the elves and now we move forward and slightly downward to the dwarves. <laughs> the dwarves don't really have heightest. Heightest. We're back at it again. I can't believe it. Episode three. <laughs> three for three, lads. Three for three. Ugh. Chris, speak up. Defend your people. Silent rebellion right here. <laughs> <laughs> Small silent rebellion. Bite your fucking ankles. <laughs> Now, the dwarves don't really have gods as we would understand them in terms of just this mystical being. They have ancestor gods, so they worship their ancestors. And though three of the ancestors are arguably gods, the others really have this spiritual demigodhoodness about them. The religion of the dwarves crosses the very strict clan boundaries. Uh, so you've got mason clans and ironworking clans. So dwarven religion and the priests and gods of that help facilitate the peaceful coexistence with those clans or clans with other clans. So things like weddings, legal systems, justice, that's all managed by the priesthood in the dwarven realms. So the three main gods, as I mentioned in quotes for the dwarves, are Grungni, who's the god of mining and stoneworking. Grimnir, who's the dwarven god of war, also the patron god of the Slayer cult, which are these fantastic, deranged 
dwarves who've abandoned the kind of honor system of their clans and ancestors, completely shave their body except for a fiery orange mohawk, and attack anything bigger than them with a Batman like disregard for their own safety. No, 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 Batman! They're effectively seeking a glorious death in battle, and the most commonly encountered type are the Troll Slayers. Mm. And for people who are into the kind of books, the novels of Warhammer, the most famous Troll Slayer then is Gotrick Gernrenson, who was voiced recently in an audio play by Brian Blessed. Ah, Brian Blessed! <laughs> that Brian Blessed. No, 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 the other one, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Those reckless dwarven guys, they sound similar to the orcs as well, who are up for a good fight and a glorious death too. Not too dissimilar anyway, in that kind of manner. Their MO is similar, but the reasons for doing it are vastly different. The dwarven slayers are basically just covered in shame. Sure, yeah. They've transgressed or failed their race in some fashion and are seeking atonement in a glorious death. I see. So they don't have any loyalty. They don't care anymore. They're renegades. I think they're loyal to the concept of dwarves as a race and they still live up to their word. If they make a promise, they keep it. But apart from that, they really don't care about anything. Right. So they fight alongside the dwarves. They're still part. They're not fighting dwarves themselves, are they? They don't fight amongst each other necessarily. I think there's been a couple of instances where they've fought amongst themselves, but they're not routinely killing everyone. They're definitely trying to die in the cause of the dwarven nations. Uh, Got it. In order to regain some sort of honour to counteract the shame. But they only regain their honour if they die a glorious death. Uh. Now, the other gods of the the dwarves that are important are Thungi. The god of mushrooms. The runesmith god, but good guess. So they're the god of the magical runes of the runesmiths. And then Morgrim, who ironically is a very cheerful dwarf and is an engineer, (laughs) is the god of engineers. Excellent. He's a tinkerer. He's a tinkerer, exactly (laughs) right. Uh, The final god to touch on is really a folk hero, and it's unclear whether they're a dwarf who ascended to godhood, or they were a demigod, or if they really existed at all and then got spun out of the collective unconscious of the dwarven races, is a dwarf called Grom Brindle, the White Dwarf. Oh. Oh, we are through the looking glass, people. So famous they made a magazine about him. Well, he's the god of publishing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for real <laughs> no not for real <laughs> I, I i can't I, I can't tell if you're joking or not i don't know <laughs> jesus christ like no no i was joking he's the god of web development <laughs> <laughs> so go on what does what does he do then effectively he's the king arthur-esque style figure who turns up when the dwarves need him the most he's a fantastic fighter an amazing leader great lover (laughs) that disappears into the ether once his let's say conquest has been completed (laughs) in and out he doesn't hang around for the victory drinks or anything like that he's just come in lay down some fucking smash time female dwarfs be done (laughs) conquest accomplished (laughs) done i've conquested mic drop i I shall leave well as uh, as gimli famously said toss me (laughs) No? Okay. (laughs) 
So those are the main gods of the Dwarven nations. If we move to their shadowy evil counterparts, the Chaos Dwarves, they really only have one god, which is the god Hashat, who is the god of dark industry, hatred, and fire. Jesus, that sounds busy, doesn't it? Well, there's only one of them. (laughs) (laughs) He drew the short straw. What was his name? Just him. Hashat. Oh, bless you. (laughs) (laughs) And their iconography and architecture as well is very Mesopotamian. Winged bulls, Mm. lamian bulls as well. Lamian bulls? What's a lamian? Winged bulls with an ugly human's head. Jesus. With a beard. Does the head specifically have to be from an ugly human? Yes. I'm not sure that it does, but it's on all the imagery. But if you find a human head on a bull's body attractive, you need help. (laughs) (laughs) You're in deep water. (laughs) You need help, son. I don't know if this is related at all, but there are creatures in Warhammer called bull centaurs, which have the bottom half of a bull and the top half of a dwarf. (laughs) And six nipples. That would be so out of proportion, wouldn't it? (laughs) What, the nipples? You could have proportional nipples. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the dwarf top half and the bullock bottom half. Like, Oh, I see. It could be a dwarf bullock. A dwarlock. A dwarlock. <laughs> a dwarlock. <laughs> so they've got a very Mesopotamian feel, whereas before the imagery was reinvented, they were just evil mutants. Merely evil mutants. So moving on from the dwarves, we'll move to their arch rivals, the greenskins. This will be one for you, Chris. Yeah, I love an orc. There's really only three greenskin gods. I know one of them. Is it Chris? (laughs) No, it's Mindy. (laughs) No. (laughs) Bad Ben. You're suspended from episode four. We'll see you again in episode five. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Okay. So these gods are worshipped by all the greenskins, the orcs and the goblins, and perhaps even the snotlings if they get above just their kind of farmyard duties long enough to be able to understand that gods exist. For the orcs, their real focus is on Gork and Mindy. Damn it! Mork. (laughs) (laughs) So Gork is the god of brutal cunning and Mork is the god of cunning brutality. Gork, the brutal cunning... If you can imagine, it's brutal close quarters combat, that directness. And the cunning brutality of Mork really is expressed as unconventional tactics in getting to that person to be able to kill them. I read it being described as Gork will come up and punch you in the face, but Mork will wait for you to stumble back from that punch and then punch you in the back of the head. (laughs) Double team. So they're very shamanistic totems, and an interesting point is that the more orcs there are together, the stronger the power of magic associated with both Gork and Mork. The areas of magic are referred to as the Big Wah and the Little Wah. Goblin magicians can use that, and the Big Wah is the orcs. Yeah, sounds like lazy script writing again, doesn't it? It does. I enjoyed reading about the Wars in the Age of Sigma handbook. So as I understand it, the War is ordered chaotic collective of orcs. They just amass organically until they become this war. They hit this critical mass and they become the war. Yes, it's effectively an entire race governed by mob mentality. When there's enough of them, they'll flip a country on its side. Sounds tiring. Yeah, yeah, which I think is awesome. The kind of hive mind kind of thing. The third, much reduced in importance, god of the greenskins is what's referred to as the spider god, the spider cult of forest goblins. 
and they're usually off their tits on spider venom, which they just either drink or stab the fangs into themselves and go on hallucinatory trips. Sounds wild. And then attack people while riding giant spiders. <laughs> Jeez. That's, I've had some trips like that. It's not fun. <laughs> Ben's like, I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> Where can I get some? It's instead of feeling spiders crawling on your skin, you're actually riding on top of a spider attacking someone. <laughs> So it's actually the spiders that are like, oh, I've got things on my skin. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Get them off. Get them off. <laughs> so moving on from the green skins, then we're head towards the ogre kingdoms. These were a kind of later addition to Warhammer in their Genghis Khan-ish visage. I think it was their sixth edition. So the main god of the ogres is called the Great Maw. And this, I think, more than any other god, is a reflection of their own racial identity as it was formed after the massive impact of a comet destroyed their homeland, wiping out most of the ogres although they are a very nomadic race within the Warhammer setting. And what was left in the crater, if you can think of the Sarlacc pit from Return of the Jedi, but about 10 kilometers in diameter. Jesus. So it's this massive toothed mod gullet. Wow. Jeez. Wow, and that came from the, the comet. I think it's the ogre's interpretation of what happened. Effectively, this big thing came down and then ate the entire ogre race. And so in their shared racial memory, something ate them, which means it must be a massive mouth. And therefore, a massive mouth appeared where their original homeland used to be. Are ogres like orcs in that there's no female ogres? It's just... No, there are male and female ogres. And there is a female ogre figure, but she's wearing a beard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honest to God, it looks like Princess Fiona from Shrek. That's amazing. With a beard as an ogre. That's so cool. Voiced by Cameron Diaz. <laughs> Do they fight with the orcs? They will fight alongside anyone and will fight against anyone. The fucking hussies. There's a group of ogres called the Maneaters, and they are... What do they do? They're, they're mercenaries, and they make tapestries. <laughs> <laughs> or they're just a bunch of very attractive cougar-type female ogres. Oh, my yeah. God. We're the Maneaters. <laughs> Six-inch heels all day long. Yeah, 10 foot tall and six foot wide. Fit. Running at you. Yeah, hot. <laughs> <laughs> So this idea that the Great Maw is a projection of their racial identity is both affirmed and rejected by the fact that they can power gut magic, the main magic practiced by the ogre butchers, as they're referred to, or the magic users. Gut magic. Gut magic. So they will either eat things that will allow them to cast a hunger-based spell, or they'll chop bits of themselves off, put it in a pot, and allow the fumes then to have the effect of whatever spell they're trying to cast. When you say a hunger-based spell, a spell that makes them hungry? So it's things like they spray people with stomach acid, they can have mouths appear as if from nowhere and eat someone, that kind of idea. A mouth appear from nowhere. Shit the bed. <laughs> Gastronomical attacks. <laughs> Gastromagic. Gastro magic. Gastro -magic. Vegan attack. Death by avocado. <laughs> Paleo strike. Atkins kick. Ham slap. <laughs> <laughs> the only other god that the ogre kingdoms really worship in any great form is what's referred to as the fire mouth. 
which is an enormous volcano in the mountains of Morn, is th- believed to be the offspring of the Great Maw and the Sun. It's, it's very mouth-based, isn't it? It is mouth-based, although... It's all a bit mouthy. Depending on what the Great Maw consumes, I have a sneaking suspicion that the Firemouth is actually the arse. <laughs> <laughs> and so whereas the priests of the Great Maw refer to butchers, the priests of the Firemouth are referred to as firebellies. And there's a great miniature of a firebelly vomiting flames up through his hand to be able to throw them at people. Ooh. So the only other non-human race that we want to talk about with their gods are the halflings. They live in a place called the Moot, which is within the Empire, adjacent to Sylvania, which is where all the vampires live. So not great in terms of location. What is a halfling? Is it like a a half-sized human? Yeah, it's a hobbit. Are they not considered humans? No, they're halflings. Oh, okay. If you've read The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, it's copy and pasted out of there really about what they're like. They're very West Country. Wholesome. Who are girdle girdle. An agrarian culture that just smokes and eats. That's it. And while they do worship some of the human deities, principally Sigmar, Tal, and Rhea, they do have their own pantheon. Josias, who is the halfling god of farming, Phineas, who is the halfling god of tobacco, and then Esmeralda, who is the halfling goddess of home and hearth, who is celebrated annually with Pie Week. That's (laughs) brilliant. (laughs) That sounds like a great week. So it's mainly consumption-based gods they have, isn't it? It's the produce and consumption of... And harvest. Food and tobacco. It's a very Epicurean culture. So yes, all they do is eat, smoke, lounge around, and occasionally do a bit of farming. Chris, you would make a great halfling, mate. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not being heightest. It's the most long-suffering sigh I've ever heard in my life. There's a lot of similarities there, mate. I'm surprised it wasn't said sooner, that's all. (laughs) Well, we all behaved ourselves during the dwarf section. (laughs) Did we? Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Uh, Fine, I'll let you have that one then. (laughs) Tired of the same old announcements from the Guild of Town Criers? Seeking a more in-depth analysis of the week's events in the old world? Then join us at the Nervous Pegasus for another exciting episode of the Empire's most popular and only podcast. That's not my goblin. Join myself, Hans Gumfer, Earl of Halstad, together with my co-host, Lady Chantal Dior of Couronne. Bonjour. Duke Leovardi of Maragliano. Bonjour. And Trollslayer Catherac Crotroch. Fuck off, Ongi. As we... Really? As we go through the events of the week in detail. Our guests this week are Lord Herman Youngmeyer, Magister of the College of Light, who will be uh, Sigmar's hammer. Who will be answering your questions on animus farming, ritual ploughing, and crop animation, together with the projected fatalities among the lower classes. Holly Brandypork, chef to the Moot's infamous mercenary war band, Lumpen Croup's Fighting Cocks, will show us how to butcher a pony to make it last through those long winter months. You can butcher my pony, eh? Dillian, eh? <sighs> pony, what? <laughs> we hope to see you all here. Farewell. 
that's effectively the non-human races and their pantheons. Quite varied. I mean, there's other one-off races like the Fimir, which are one of my favourites. They're very much a kind of Celtic evil fairy who has had relations with an orc, a cyclops, and possibly an aardvark as well. They look that kind of way. And their god is Balor of the Evil Eye because they're all cyclopses. Or cyclopi, cyclops eye. Sorry, did you say they were fairies? Their culture is kind of like the evil fairies of Celtic folklore. Ah, I see. Pixies, pesky, yeah, pesky. Like red caps, or, that yeah. kind of idea. And are they evil? Yes, very. But not chaotic. So they're kind of mischievous evil. Uh, I mean, they have rape camps, so I don't know. What? <laughs> Good God. <laughs> they have rape I mean, camps. I, I I've I've got more respect for the chaos gods at this point. I mean, even they don't have those kind of places. Wow. Yes. Yeah. That is dark. <laughs> I mean, if it's part of Warhammer lore, it's got to be mentioned. Yes, you know. True. There are very few female Fimir, and the ones that they do have are leaders of their culture. So what they do is operate raiding parties who go out from their own pocket universe kidnap as many women as they can of various races, bring them back into their own realm, and then suddenly there's another generation of Fimir, and I think we should draw a veil. They did exist in the overall lore up until the transition to fourth edition, I, I believe, and they do get an occasional mention, uh, but I think that the problematic nature that they had rendered them unwelcome within Warhammer. It's been excised uh, from Warhammer lore. I wonder why. I wonder. There yeah. must be something <laughs> about what they were doing that just didn't sit right with, you know. It's like Slanesh, though, as well, isn't it? Slanesh got modified a bit to be a bit more safe and appealing. Yeah, let's remove the S&M. And maybe let's remove the rape camps as well, lads. Yeah. What do you think? Jeff, what do you think? <laughs> Yeah, I've got nowhere to go with that. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's just all downhill from there, really, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> uh, all right. Are there any other gods? Are there any other races that we should be aware of? Well, I think there's this one race that you should be aware of, which is humanity. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, those assholes. So really the gods of the old world is what we're looking at now. And they're broken into four main groups so you've got the gods of the northern old world, gods of the southern old world, and they very much reflect the real world break between the Roman Empire and the Goth nations. So the gods of the north, Tal, is the god of the wilds. Raya, his wife, is the god of agriculture and birds. Manan, the god of the sea. And Ulrich, the god of winter and wolves. Uh, so very much Germanic god. Nordic. From the south, you've got Mor, who's the god of death. Verena, who's his wife, who's the god of justice and learning. She sounds high maintenance. <laughs> Verena. Ugh. Ugh. A, a book and a knife. Always there. I don't know why. Myrmidia, who is the... God of mermaids. The goddess of warfare, strategy, and art. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I need a hobby. <laughs> It's like me and my GCSEs or my A-levels. I'll take haberdashery. <laughs> Shalya, who is the goddess of mercy and healing. As an interesting side note, the priests of Shalya, they are avowed pacifists until it comes to followers of Nurgle, and then they go into frothing rage and try to kill them as quickly as they can. Ooh. Fair. Fair. 
Ranald, who is the god of trickery and thieves and luck. And so if you can recall from when you finish a mission in Vermintide, you get Ranald's gift, oh, yeah. which is gives you a little boost of your experience. And that's the kind of... It's a shit name for a god, isn't it? Ranald. Hello. <laughs> Ranald. So all of these gods are worshipped across the empire, but obviously in the north, more credence is given to the Germanic Nordic style gods. And in the south, the Italian and civilized, in quotes, gods are held in high esteem. Myrmidia, who is the goddess of warfare, strategy and haberdashery. (laughs) She's the goddess of Estilia and Tilia, which is Spain and Italy, respectively. But no one is entirely sure if she was born in Estilia or born in Tilia. So she's one of the great mysteries of our day. (laughs) Well, certainly today, because if she was born in Estilia, it means that she conquered Tilia and vice versa. So there's constant war between those two nations. Mm. Right. So, uh, so those gods broken up in north and south really classed as the old gods, which are the Nordic style gods, and the classical gods, which are the Greco-Roman style gods. It should be noted that the old world is riddled with shrines, temples, and churches to all these gods. You can't swing a dead skaven for hitting a temple. Is Don't be swinging dead skaven. Well, I found one covered in snake bites. <laughs> and an Indiana Jones hat. Is there a divide? Are there different groups, not necessarily warring, but opposing religious groups of the north and southern worshippers? Like I say, they may not be fighting amongst themselves, but they disagree and debate about the north versus south gods, or they generally, you know, they have respect for each other. It's like, yeah, north, south, whatever, doesn't really matter. As with our own world, people tend to revolve around one or two specific things that they believe, and their nature drives them that way. So in Warhammer, why would it be any different? So, you know, yeah, yeah. God, the god of the wilds might not take kindly to the goddess of justice and learning. Yeah, and that god speaks more to certain followers and their way of life than other gods. But it's not like they're warring with each other different strokes for different folks kind of thing you know yeah i think there's the occasional skirmish there's no declarations of war yeah i mean there are crusades it should be said in, in warhammer history from bretonia which is france that swept down through estilia tilia the border princes into the badlands and then into Araby in the warhammer world so we're kind of mirroring our own middle age history gotcha Those are the kind of named gods. We've then got the patron gods of the old world, the most famous being Sigmar. He's the patron of the empire. And again, became a god, was born human, imbued with demigod powers, and now is the patron god of the empire. Which one was that? Sigmar. Sigmar. He's like like the, the main dude, right? The age of Sigmar. He's arguably the main dude in Warhammer as well. As an interesting point, his Templars, the priests and knights of Sigmar, are the witch hunters, which I think, Ben, you played in uh, Vermintide. Vermintide. Are the human gods very much the same as the non-human gods in that we don't really know what plane it is that they occupy? Uh, Yeah, I mean, they have their own spiritual realm separate from the realm of chaos, so possibly not unlinked. There might be one or two connections. Tricky business dealing with souls and prayers. And is the idea then, if they have a spiritual realm, if you're a follower of, say, Sigmar, and you die in his name, then your soul would ascend to that particular spiritual realm? Yes, or be reborn into the Empire as a kind of... 
a badger. A holy badger. Saint-like. <laughs> the neighbour of the empire, Britonia, their patron god is the Lady of the Lake. So again, effectively copy and pasting Arthurian legend. Quite literally copying and pasting. Yes. They didn't even try. They didn't even give her they another name. They didn't even name, call her like the woman of the river. Yeah. Just that bitch in the pond. <laughs> 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 the girl of the puddle. <laughs> I mean, never mind Jeff, Ben, who hurt you? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff and I attend the same Broken Hearts Anonymous meeting. <laughs> <laughs> So the Lady of the Lake is viewed by the Knights of Britonia as the physical manifestation of the country. And so as the country goes, so she goes. I think she's the goddess that manifests the most in the old world. She's a, a real interventionist goddess. Insofar as when knights go on a quest, they go on this grail quest. They have to find the holy grail really? of the Lady of the Lake. And then they become these mystical grail knights. And so at the end of these quests, it's the Lady of the Lake herself who appears and allows them to drink from the Holy Grail. Jesus. I mean, they haven't really diverged too far from the original story. Have they? <laughs> I'd go as far as to say as at all. They've just... <laughs> yeah. It's, it just seems like straight up plagiarism yeah, like to we, me. We, sp we spent all the Warhammer Games Workshop design team, like we spent all our energy designing the beasts and pantheons of the Chaos Gods. And managing the, Jeff. And managing Jeff that we're just gonna... <sighs> Lady of the Lake, Holy Grail Quest. Yeah. The Knights that say knee. The Knights that say knee. I just imagine the Lady of the Lake like popping up at the end, like Scylla Black, like, "Hey, love, well done. You found the Grail. What's your name and where do you come from? Here's what you win. Surprise, surprise." <laughs> the other patron god of the old world is our son. Whose son? He's like our son, mate. It's yours. Don't, fu don't fucking bring me into this, Darren. All right, it's Northern, you isn't it? Our son. Our son. No, 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 Darren. You know what this was. You bastard. To me, to you. <laughs> That's the patron god of Kislev, which is the Russian slash Polish inspired culture of the old world. And who's a bear god, as in a god of bears rather than a naked person in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 dude. Pants. <laughs> Put some clothes on, you savage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Then really what you're looking at in the old world as it exists today, in quotes, is two or three thousand minor gods. Are these gods that mine? <laughs> Not mimer, minor. <laughs> that mime. Mimer. I'm in a glass box. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant, I meant mine. Do they like mine for, you know? They mime mining. <laughs> they pretend to mine. They're mime miners. <laughs> What? <laughs> the, the minor gods, they're really like house gods, very much a pantheist style way of looking at things like everything has a soul, therefore everything has a god. Inclusive. Please tell me one of them's called Jemima. Jemima. Jemima the mine miner. <laughs> you know, she's underage as well. This is Jemima the minor mime. We managed to get a handle on the dwarf stuff. We fucking inadvertently entered rape camps this episode, 
And now we've got minor dwarf mine miners. <laughs> Inadvertently entered rape camps. Oops, I'm not meant to be here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I saw nothing. I, I saw nothing. I have definitely taken a wrong turn. <laughs> oh, Google Maps. <laughs> this is not Disneyland. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, anyway. So of these minor gods, just as an example, we have uh, Solcan. If the Inquisition had a god, it would be Solcan. Is one of the original gods of order to rival the gods of chaos oh. from uh, way Boring. back. <laughs> no, Boo. that doesn't go there, does it? <laughs> no, Solcan. <laughs> you shouldn't say that. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. He's also the god of vengeance. So, you know, god of good vengeance. Describe good vengeance. Retribution for upon evil deeds. Oh, so kind of two wrongs do make a right. Like, you killed that old lady, so I'm going to kill you. It's good vengeance. That kind of idea, yeah. Okay. We've then got Lucan and Lucia. They are the founders of the city called Lucini. And that is in Tilia, which is our Italy. And they're very much the kind of Romulus and Remus of that city. Also very much tied to trade and warfare. And that's the kind of epicenter of the mercenary companies within the Warhammer world. Okay. Yeah. Guns for hire. Yep. Head down to Lucini and hire some brigands. Some muscle. As we've all done. If we revisit the north, you're looking at Stromfels, who is the best pairing ever, the god of storms and sharks. <laughs> Sharknado. It's the Sharknado god. Sharknado. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Why sharks? Yeah, why? I think it's a coastal god. Okay. Why not starfish? Why, why, why sharks in particular? Because really a lot of fishermen are not terrified shitless mm, of starfish. They're not, okay. they're not that scary. Unless it was a giant starfish. Well, that's the secret source of starfish. They're like, you know what I mean? You don't expect them. And then bam, they're on your face. <laughs> Shlomp. And they're just there. Slowly crawling <laughs> over you. Yeah. Okay. Storms and sharks. This will be good now just to see your reactions to this amazing bit of creativity. You have a th- god of thunder and lightning called Tor. Uh, that's, okay. <laughs> All right. They remove the H. Oh, that is cunning. Oh, w- wait a minute. Remove the whoa, H. Whoa. So it would be Huttor. Exactly right. Or Hort. <laughs> no, 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 wait a minute. No, that's right. Hort. <laughs> <laughs> and then we move on to my favorite of the minor gods, Artho the Unmoving. Fat bastard. The god of tradition. Their followers don't wash, never wear shoes, and carry around a symbol of Artho, which is this uh, long stone statue, which when they see something that they think is beginning to change their culture, they whack it with the statue. They sound really stubborn and annoying. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, conservatives. No, we don't want women priests or women in the army, or just women in general. (laughs) Let's just drop a statue on them. Yeah, exactly. Clonk. Those really are the gods of the old world, that old Europe-style section of Warhammer. If we then just have a brief dance around the other human nations, Araby, which is just south of the old world, if you can imagine the Arabian Peninsula in our world, but eternally trapped in the stories of A Thousand and One Nights. So very much folklore and myths in that part of Warhammer. Ind which obviously is India and extends a bit into the, the eastern side of Middle East. You're looking at the gods like Gilgadresh instead of Gilgamesh. Nice. And 
a god which I suspect is the god of tigers, Sheer Khan. <laughs> wow. These areas then are all fully populated by the human race. Do they have, you know, are they contributing to the armies that are fighting against chaos? These are areas that have effectively been not ignored, but are untouched in the lore development of Warhammer. Yeah. So you do get, you'll get the occasional item or you'll get the occasional mention of a character, but there's no real definition of the cultures that live there, the types of armies they have, the contribution they're making against chaos. Because when you think about the human race within Warhammer Fantasy setting, it's always the Empire, isn't it? You know, I don't know what the era of history is that their armor and stuff is modeled on. It's like kind of late Middle Ages, isn't well, it? Well, you're looking at somewhere between the 15th and 17th century. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah. it's a very, I mean, to be honest, it's a very Eurocentric fantasy setting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then that's where it was developed and that's how it was developed. I mean, I guess it leaves scope for you know future updates of because they're bringing back the old worlds aren't they is it this year or next year it'll be a year and a half from time of record i think it's interesting you bring that up because the day before yesterday which you know listeners in the future will go what <laughs> the warhammer total war version three is coming out and in the trailer it's hinted that they will flesh out the armies of Cathay. Our world, China. Ah, that's really cool. So these are locations that have been hinted at before, but Games Workshop, they actually sat down with the, I've forgotten the name of the company, it's an imprint of Electronic Arts. So they've worked together to create the lore for that army, which means it will be appearing that's amazing. in Warhammer, in Warhammer's own products. So it stands to reason then that they might do the same thing for the Ind and... Oh, sorry, the, the, the other areas we've got are Ind... Araby, Cathay, which is China, Nippon, which is Japan. And interestingly, there used to be a full range of figures and an army list for the Nippon armies. Really? Yeah, absolutely. In third edition, the Kraken army as well. They were the first ones to really have like rocket launchers. Ah. <laughs> it's like you think of Katana swashbuckling ninjas. No, rocket launchers. <laughs> nah. Give them rocket Just, launchers. Yeah. Big explosives. I reckon Jeff had a, had a hand in that. <laughs> That's that's the one thing they gave him. Yes, all right. Nippon's gonna have rocket launches, Jeff. All right, Jeff. Just quiet down. And then you have Koresh, which is the Southeast Asian Peninsula, home to what were originally referred to as the Snake Men, which are the kind of nagas of that area's lore. So it does stand to reason then in the future, the Games Workshop might look to develop the armies of these areas. Well, I think they're being developed now. We've seen concept art for rebranded Kislev armies. Wow, that's so good. Cool. Which are the kind of Polish slash Russian armies, and they'll be coming quite soon. Uh, and in fact, it's one of the playable factions in the new Total War so cool. uh, Warhammer game. Uh, is Kislev, who plays Kislev. In fact, what I'll do is I'll link the trailer for it. It's a Kraken trailer. The only other human realm of note is the realm of Albion, based on Britain, which is, well, it's based on Britain, but it's based on the kind of carry-on movie style idea of Britain. So you've got a capital city called Bola Hat. <laughs> Clever. They don't sound too impressive. Clever. No. But it's also the site of the imprisonment of the very first demon prince called Bellacor. He was bound into the island and is only let out for the coronation of the greatest chaos leader once every 10 generations or so. Right. 
So what gods do we have in those areas then? Are there are there gods detailed for those races? No, not really. There are it, it seems very much a kind of a melting pot of other cultures. So there are settlements from Dark Elves, there's settlements from Empire, Bretonia, Orcs and Goblins are there. There's no one overarching god of Albion. There's tons worshipped with different frequency. I would say, however, that there are priests there. There's a lot of waystones on Albion. So it's a place that's crucial to the continuation of the Great Vortex that's drawing the chaos power out. So you have a group there called the Truthsayers, mm. who are very much, they practice jade magic. So they harness the green wind. Instead of having a druidic culture, they have a very, I don't know if you've read 2000 AD, Slain or Slawny. Mm, it's very mm. much that. It's very kind of high fantasy Irish lore or Irish culture. Yeah, yeah. So the final culture I wanted to talk about with their gods is the now defunct culture of Nehekara, which is analogous with Egypt. Again, you're looking at a copy and pasting of some of the culture there or the cosmology and you're looking at things like instead of Osiris, they've got Osirian. Instead of Anubis, they've got Dejaf. Bast is there, but she's, they've added a H on the end of her name. So I think it's the H they took from Tor. <laughs> That's where that nice. went. Bast. 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 And then Asaf, who is the, uh, the goddess of magic, beauty, and vengeance. But they're all now largely dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know why I even brought it up. <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> <laughs> they are still worshipped by the tomb kings, which are the risen dead of that part of the world, but their power is much diminished. The real power in that land has been and will continue to be Nagash, effectively the demigod of the undead. And while the Tomb King armies and civilization rails against him, he doesn't give a shit. Wow. <laughs> the god of not giving a fuck. That's really my load, guys. I don't really have anything else. Nice. Who, Darren, is your favorite god? Seeing as we forgot you the last episode, <laughs> you will ask first. you first this episode. <laughs> I really like Aerith Kale, the evil, in quotes, god of the elven underworld, the Pale Queen. I think she is a very compelling patron and way of getting out of the hell that the elves find themselves in. And also Nagash. You can't beat Nagash. Yeah, because you're you're a big fan of Undead, aren't you? That's your that's big your, fan that's of your, Undead. That's your jam. What about you guys? I'm shotgunning Sharknado God. You're Sharknado <laughs> God. Stromfeld. Yeah, just uh, wacky Stromfeld. Yeah, I like the name. Excellent. Yeah. What about you, Ben? Yeah, White Dwarf. He just comes in. I picture him literally as a White Dwarf. Is he albino? Is he... He's just known as the White Dwarf. And the only thing I can think of is he's got white hair. That's it. Okay, fine. I just, I love, I love the fact he just kind of swans in last minute, you know. Conquest. Lays a couple of female dwarves, you know, maybe stabs a few orcs. And then, you know, he just takes all the glory and he's, he's gone. The and everyone's like, oh my God, he's amazing. He's a bad motherfucker. <laughs> Just to be clear, he's more warry, fighty, drinky than he is smoochy, smoochy. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a heck of a lot of gods in Warhammer. Yeah. I mean, there's a god for everyone, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very inclusive range of gods there. And if you can't find one, you've always got the gods of chaos to fall back on. Exactly. Good old Nurgle. 
All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about the topics we've discussed in this podcast, you can find all the reference articles in the show notes. We'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, ta-ta. Ta-ta. Goodbye. Goodbye.